0: Hi, I'm Mark Cuban. I'm Jackie Keist. We're self-appointed experts in content and making each other laugh. Welcome to our podcast on the tools, where we talk about what we've been watching, reading, listening to, and scrolling through.
1: This week, we'll be talking about TV reality series, Naked Attraction, and podcast, It's Nice to Hear You.
0: I'll be talking about Netflix series, Old Enough, and YouTube chef, Nat's What I Reckon. Hey, we're back. we're back. Look at you, JK. You're looking all refreshed and relaxed. Thank you. Probably should start with a big apology to our listeners for the unexpected hiatus, which was largely my fault. I had a heart attack. Yes, for <laughs> real. <laughs> Mic drop. Yeah, something called a STEMI was touch and go for a while, but I'm feeling brand new.
1: How do I look? I don't know why I'm laughing, but you look good.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, But before I forget, I'd like to give the medical staff at St Vincent's Hospital, Sydney, especially my new family at the Cardiac Unit 10 North and the New South Wales Ambulance Service a huge shout-out. We forget about the huge efforts our medicos and frontline personnel make and the hours they work. So, thank you. Now, where did you go, Jackie? Because you've just returned too.
1: Yes. My, well, <laughs> firstly, very glad you're still with us. Secondly, I, yes, while well, you had a heart attack, I went on holiday.
0: <laughs> what a friend. You're such a good friend in my hour of
1: need. Well, no, it was just afterwards, and it was already planned. I wasn't trying to, you know, but uh, you know, I went to I went to Belgium and I went to Italy and I went to London. Um, well, good for you. <laughs> yes, I'm one of those annoying people on Instagram <laughs> posting their holiday, but yeah, no, to, I went to Belgium to visit family, and then the Italy and London part was the actual holiday. But yes, it was awesome. It was great.
0: It was much uh, better
1: than having a heart attack.
0: Uh, well, yeah, I don't recommend. I've lost a bit of weight, as you can tell, uh, but yeah, I don't recommend this as a you know a diet. It's, uh, there are
1: easier ways. There's
0: an easier ways to lose weight. <laughs> let me tell you. Do you
1: have a newfound look, look on life. Uh,
0: do I? Um, yeah, stay healthy. <laughs> I think that's that's working for me. Um, so, what are you reviewing?
1: I'm going to talk about. This is not a highbrow recommendation by any means, but I think it's fun. (laughs) I think it's funny. Uh, It's a TV series called Naked Attraction, and I was introduced to it in London by one of my best friends, Ross, who I stayed with, and it's kind of what it sounds like. Uh, It's a British matchmaking show from Channel 4 where basically contestants whittle down their choice of a date by evaluating a series of naked bodies. Or, as the catchphrase goes, we like to start where a good date ends naked. <laughs> <laughs> like, this is complete, full frontal nudity. There is no blurring. Was a little bit surprised this was made in England and not like the Netherlands or Germany, a more liberal European country, but it's 2020. Body so- positivity.
0: A bit of schlong.
1: <laughs> a lot of schlong. Out of bush. A lot of bush. Uh, <laughs> some completely hairless. Uh, yeah. every, everything under the sun, basically. All right. Sounds fun. <laughs> so oh, there was a bedazzle on a 65 year old woman in one episode I watched. Um, she
0: missed her jeans.
1: <laughs> <laughs> what?
0: Are you supposed to bedazzle your jeans?
1: Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so basically, the conceit of this show is contestant comes in that's looking for love. They're fully clothed, but they have six potential matches who are naked, standing inside these kind of col- colored plop pods behind these frosted glass screens. And each person supposedly has an attribute that you've declared beforehand that you find physically attractive. And. <laughs> Then the screen slowly lifts in stages. So to start with, the screens lift and you see see everyone's legs and genitals. And then with (laughs) the the host.
0: Sounds really unattractive.
1: (laughs) With the host, you then walk around and examine each person. And this is in, like, forensic detail with the host being, like, there's some inner labia hanging out there. Do you mind that? (laughs) Or like to use a modern parlance, he's got a bit of a chode. He's thicker than he is long. But a lot of ladies love a chode and it's said as matter of fact and British as can be. (laughs) So then you have to, from the genitals and legs alone, you then have to eliminate one person. And then, then they walk off set naked and like salute the person that just rejected them. But like so then, then the screens lift to chest or boob level, same again, you eliminate one. Then you get to see their faces, eliminate another one. Then, they're, you know, it's down to three. You can hear their voices, eliminate one more. And by this stage you're down to two people. And then you have to get naked as well because that's only fair, right? And then you pick one and you both put your clothes on and you go on a date in a bar or restaurant, which the show also films and it's usually terribly awkward. (laughs) (laughs) But as an introduction to the show, Ross made me purposely watch an episode (laughs) with a contestant, Judith. I think this is the most famous episode of this show. But basically she's a 57-year-old devout Christian, breast cancer survivor, full-time carer and complete and utter hornbag. Like she's sorting between six guys and (laughs) there's no kink shaming on this podcast, obviously, but we're only a minute in and she's like, I love feet. I love to feel somebody's toes around my pussy and I then felt like I was on acid as she (laughs) proceeded to sing the Lord is my shepherd on a Casio keyboard to a row of naked men and then makes them dance and swing their penises about as she feels it's a good way to determine if they're good at sex. I don't think the Lord is My Shepherd is the song I would want to have sex to. But
0: she sounds, she sounds insane. And
1: then she brings, this is not the end, and then she brings out a sponge cake for them to try and as she's feeding it to them, she notes that she loves to use clotted cream in the bedroom and saying there is nothing better than having this at my vagina. I think Judith has a yeast infection. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, so one of the guys chokes on the cake as she tells him this and she says, don't worry, I'm a gagger. I'm like, anyway, (laughs) she's the best. I want to be Judith when I grow up. But she, fortunately the guy she chose, he ends up ghosting her. It's quite sad. Um, Well, yeah. I think any sane man would. I also watched another episode with the oldest ever contestant, Ian, and he's a retired engineer. His wife of thirty years died, and how he's discovered nudism and is exploring his sexuality with men too. He likes pronounced nipples, and he sports a Prince Albert. (laughs) Wow, how old is he? Seventy-five. It's like one thing on him. I know. One thing I like, I really like about this show is that all of the contestants are of all different ages and body types, and it's very inclusive. Uh, It's not objectifying. I mean, yes, it is objectifying people, but it's kind of oddly refreshing to just see normal bodies because I think so much of the bodies we see in media are like hot people in porn. And I like there's people from all the way across the LGBTIQ spectrum as well, which is like really great. Not sure I'd personally want to go on this show and have like each element of my body critiqued within an inch of its life or my labia discussed on Twitter. Wow. So kudos to the people that is brave enough that are brave enough. But, like, one of the things I also can't stop thinking about when I was watching this show is, like, imagine watching and just seeing, like, a work colleague, like, Roger from Accounts, and then the next time you see him in the kitchen, it will not be the same.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I think you would have to, like, change your identity or move.
1: And Wow. I don't know how I feel about them. You'd have
0: to be a bit mad. You'd have to to be. Well, you'd have to
1: be, I think, you have to be so self-confident about your body to go on national, in well, international television. I also don't know how I feel about the premise of the staged elimination because I know, like, for some people, like, hot body is the priority and therefore forgive a bad head. But, like, <laughs> to me the face is physically the most important thing and, like, what if you eliminated the person with the hottest face first because they have weird pubic hair or something, and, you know, you end up with two mugs. Like I just, <laughs> obviously this is before, you know, you get into someone's personality and humour and intellect and whether that plays into whether they're attractive or not. But
0: is that, is that show available domestically or just?
1: So, like, lots of the episodes are on YouTube, and I kind of find that weird. I thought they would be pulled down because they're full on nudity, but they're also apparently on, I did some Googling, it's on Nine now. I'm surprised it's not on SBS. <laughs>
0: wow, that's just nuts. Yeah, and, and has Nine done any editing, or there's just it, I
1: don't know. I didn't watch it online. I've just watched it on YouTube. But, wow. Um, okay. I'm waiting for the Australian version. I will not. No,
0: <laughs> we'll know somebody on there for <laughs> sure.
1: But the other thing is so weird. You see every participant with the clothes on at the end, the very end, and. Everyone seems to have really bad fashion. I don't know whether the show makes him wear clothes that have no brands or whatever on them because some people look way better naked, I have to say.
0: <laughs> I'm going to check it out. All you need. So while I was recovering, I had ample time to watch lots of content while you were jet setting around Europe. <laughs> I discovered an amazing Japanese documentary series called Old Enough on Netflix. Unlike Naked Attraction, Old Enough <laughs> is probably the most <laughs> this is
1: like the opposite end of the spectrum. It's
0: the opposite. It's probably the most wholesome show I've ever watched. The series now has over twenty episodes and is completely unscripted, and it's about. Japanese toddlers slash children. I don't know. How old does a child have to be uh, when they move from being a toddler to a little child?
1: I don't know, like four or five.
0: That's what I thought. Well, these children range from two to five and are sent on simple errands to help out their parents. The tasks set in the program reflect errands Japanese children carry out in real life. I remember my mother sending me to the corner shop to get milk, and I must have been about four years old, and I always got in trouble because I had the wrong change.
1: <laughs> Were you buying it like these kids buy themselves things sometimes? How you would buying I know?
0: I'd just hand over the coins. Although I think most parents would shudder at the thought of exposing their offspring to the potential dangers of busy urban streets. Did Margaret and Chris send you off to do their shopping, Jackie?
1: Not to my memory. I do remember my mum, like, losing me in the shops and then I got to ride in another woman's trolley. That was on
0: purpose. (laughs) (laughs) She'll reveal that later in life.
1: No, I was in Wollongong Shopping Centre and I was staring at some surfboards and then this other woman picked me up. I was fine.
0: (laughs) Bloody hell. Anyway, so in one, one episode, Hiroki, a two-year-old boy, navigates traffic, <laughs> a 20-minute <laughs> journey to the shop to buy flowers, curry and fish cakes for his mother. In another episode, Hinako, who is just shy of five, is tasked with giving handmade, uh, I'm going to butcher this, hariobi or traditional maternity belt to a pregnant neighbour before buying wakami, inedible seaweed, and picking onions and cabbages from the family allotment. Uh, during an errand during an errand to the local market three-year-old yuka buys udon noodles and tempura but returns with seed brim instead of the prawns <laughs> her mother's requested uh, obviously all is quickly forgiven i don't think i would i don't think there'd be anyone in this country who would send their child out to do these errands but this um,
1: one where she goes to when she buys the sea brim that market is full of hundreds of people like I was shocked and like that kid is just wandering around on their own.
0: I know. But it also shows that they're quite capable, you know, that know. you give them the task and off they go. Maybe the show's people don't
1: cr- have enough faith in their children.
0: Oh, probably not. I mean, I remember being, taking myself off to sport. On a push bike, and nowadays that would never happen. I think everyone drives the kids to sport. Oh, yeah, the me show...
1: brother... yeah, me and my <clears> brother, <throat> brother used to walk to school. I don't like we were little and we would have fights. So I'd pull him by his backpack and throw him on the ground on the way. There. <laughs> good,
0: good for you. The show's <laughs> creator now, I'll butcher this again Junji Uchi says the show continues to draw in audiences and it's growing because it centers on a treasured feature of Japanese family life. So, the executive director said that he was inspired by the widely accepted practice among Japanese parents of asking their children to run errands alone. Uh, he said what he thought uh, that they film a child when they're sent on their first errand without them being aware of what they're doing. Uh, perhaps we find something in the footage that's worthy of television. So it was kind of like, you know, Big Brother, I think they just shoot a lot of footage and then, you know, the magic happens in the edit suite. He said, it's interesting on so many levels and perhaps highlights how we've become helicopter parents. For me, the most entertaining part, and I don't know if you noticed this on the other episodes, is the army of middle-aged cameramen yes. and women <laughs> running after the children.
1: <laughs> the best one is when they, two kids have to walk up a big these steps to a temple and then the cameramen are clearly puffed because it's really steep. They're not they young, but they're not young. You know, you, you think they'd be like young fit cameraman
0: but they're they're sort of very middle aged looking, puffy and panting, and they they're carrying what appears to be large shoulder mounted video cameras. Like they they look old school. Uh, but these well, the kids, show is
1: quite old. I think I don't think it's new. The show, yeah, I think it was in Japan, and then Netflix picked it up. I think it's from maybe fifteen years ago.
0: Oh really? They're all teenagers mm. now at uni,
1: probably about
0: to sue the kid, the parents. <laughs> Uh, But these kids are like full on, full of energy and wonderment. And, you know, it just did make me think about helicopter parenting and whether, you know, we're creating children who are sort of wrapped in cotton wool and are pretty hopeless. Uh, Don't you think? It was like these kids are amazing. Three. I know. And also the fact that food, like they go and buy something and they eat it and they do this, it was just quite amazing. It looked really entertaining. I loved it so much. Yeah. yeah, and I just found it really super cute and, you know, I don't think there's a lot of shows like that that I've seen in recent times.
1: No, and it's just cool to like watch the kids kind of have to work things out. Like there's an episode where the girl's meant to, I think she's picking up cabbage but it's uh, it, it's actually been cut up and put aside for her just to pick it up but she goes instead to the cabbage that's in the ground and tries <laughs> to <laughs> twist it out of the ground and she's there for like half an hour like and then eventually she gets it out. It's actually quite amazing. and then another kid uh, he's carrying like an gear fish and then the uh, rope snaps and he has to work out how he's going to get the fish back in the box and like just watching the kids try to figure stuff out is just it's really funny, it's really cute.
0: It is very cute. Um, yeah, so that was a fantastic show and I highly recommend it. What else have you been watching?
1: I've been listening to a podcast. <laughs> what, else listening- what, else li- <laughs> what else have you been listening to? You're always at me.
0: What else have you been listening to?
1: I've been listening to a podcast. It's nice to hear you. So this is probably at the opposite end of Naked Attraction. And I also thought it would just be an interesting follow-up to, like when I think it was episode five, we talked about online dating based on a book that you read so <laughs> it's nice to hear is a podcast. It's also a matchmaking experiment um, and the people in the experiment are matched with one person, but they don't see each other's faces. They don't know each other's names, so they can't Google or stalk each other on social media. So they can only correspond once a day for 30 days via voice memo. They can't talk in any other way. And we get eavesdrop on these voice memos during the podcast and we hear how the relationship It's intimate though, isn't it? Yeah. I think that's kind of the point. So, And like some of them end up together afterwards. So the podcast, it was created, and the experiment, was created in 2020 by this woman named Heather Lee who got laid off during the pandemic and she had a lot of time on her hands. And I guess the background to this is she was also going through a breakup of sorts with this guy she calls Chester, except they weren't really together. It's more like this kind of undefined situation. She sort of fizzled out. He cancels on her repeatedly to meet up then texts less and less and less and she just essentially stops responding to him because she senses that he's not interested in her. But the one one thing that Chester did do, do during their time seeing each other, he would leave her voice memos about his day and they weren't like voice notes he sent out of necessity because he was driving or something and <laughs> couldn't text. They were like thoughtful and she found it really intimate and she felt really connected to him by these how, voice how memos. How old is she? I think she's 30. I can't quite remember. I think she's, yeah, she's around 30. But do you um, think that that
0: is because the main form of communication amongst millennials is text, right, and social media and no one really speaks on the phone. Do you
1: think that Well, this, this is, is dumb- what we were talking about yesterday. Like one of my friends is like if I call her, she will think that I'm dying because she and she would literally say to me, "Why would you call me when you could text me?" <laughs> maybe. So maybe because like some people send voice memos. I don't really I find, but do you, do you ever send voice memos? Uh,
0: no, I don't. I have a few friends who do. Uh, yeah, I find them annoying.
1: It's a bit like a voicemail,
0: which I well, find annoying. think how it, it is. I think, I think if it's like a conversational piece or whatever, you know, a show and tell, then, you know. But normally it's just they waffle on I just want to get to the point and quickly get to the end, <laughs> which is just me in general.
1: <laughs> Impatient. <laughs> <laughs> but so, yeah, Heather, in... The pandemic, she also watched that Netflix show Love is Blind where people get to know potential partners through a wall over the week and in the end they have to propose marriage to one of them, which is slightly a bit too far in my opinion, but okay. <laughs> But so based on these two things, she ends up kind of obsessed with the romantic power of voice. So like a little bit like how our listeners have fallen in love with us through our voices in this podcast. It's an intimate medium, like an we were saying. Medium.
0: The voice. The voice. The
1: voice. <laughs> <laughs> like so Heather believes in modern, normal modern, normal dating apps, there isn't space for vulnerability to evolve. So people are too stuck in trying to be witty or they're trying to be superficial. So she decides to create an alternative. She wants to reverse the order in which we are attracted to people, emotions first using voice and then physical attraction. So she matches together all the couples. And to do this, she uses psychology studies from the 90s, the 36 questions. And maybe some people are familiar with this. There was a New York Times article about this study that went viral a few years ago, which is called To Fall in Love with Anybody, Do This. a bit of explain it. So, what a, are the questions? Yeah, so I'll explain it because it's actually really interesting. So, um, basically, this '90s experiment, it paired together complete strangers and made them ask and answer these 36 questions to see if they would generate intimacy and connection. And the idea being is that these questions get you to be vulnerable with someone in a way that you know, kind of artificially, like in a way that might otherwise take months or even years. And then <laughs> when their 36 questions are done they stare into each other's eyes for 4 minutes. And one of the in this 90s experiment, one of the pairs that did this, they fell in love and they got married. But so are they still
0: together or you don't? Know? I
1: don't know. I don't know. But the questions they start <laughs> off really easy, so they're just sort of like, what would constitute a perfect day for you? <laughs> and then by the end they're like super personal, like if you were to die this evening with no opportunity to communicate with anyone, what would you most regret not having told someone, and why haven't you told them yet? so pull <laughs> oh <my God.
0: laughs> on <laughs> it's full on I'd need like a day, two days a week maybe to think about that one.
1: I know, but um, um so Heather gets people to fill in the thirty six questions like a questionnaire, and then she uses them. As a profile of sorts for the experiment so she matches people based on whether their answers seem similar and they have to answer those questions on voice memo and the person then that they're matched with listens to their profiles and then they respond and start their conversation from there mm-hmm. and so she chooses three potential couples they're the subjects of the podcast and we get to hear them get to know each other and it's awkward initially as you would imagine I think dating is just awkward but as it unfolds it's actually pretty amazing how they do connect. Like they do share really intimate things with each other. And like <laughs> one thing that, that Heather does do is she does give them occasionally conversation prompts. And like she even makes them sing to each other at one point, which I would die if I was made <laughs> to do that to someone I'm attracted to against my will. But I think that's the point. It's to be vulnerable. And I think like the most interesting aspect of the podcast is not like discovering, oh like audio is the best mode to fall in love. I don't think so. It's just different. But it's actually more that Heather, like she inserts herself into the podcast a lot and she learns things from her participants, particularly how open they are. And she realises that listening to these other people be really open, that she has a lot of issues with intimacy and communication. And she brings on these relationship counsellors to talk to her participants, but she ends up speaking to them as well. And so she even gets back in touch with that guy, Chester, that had that kind of situationship that didn't work out. And funnily enough, he thought she never really cared about him. She, <laughs> He thought she wasn't that into him because she never, like he wished that she had told him that she liked him because she was so busy protecting her own feelings. She never told him that she did. Like she just assumed that they he knew and that they had this tacit understanding. Wow. And like I think <clears throat> even with the voice memos, she sort of realizes they were not necessarily – looking back on them with fresh eyes, they were not necessarily that intimate, it just felt that way because she liked him. And so it wasn't like he was declaring his love for her in those voice memos. But so she basically she wasn't vulnerable. And she realized she wasn't vulnerable in her previous relationships before either. And I think when I was younger, I'm probably guilty of that too. Like I think it's hard to put yourself out there sometimes and say like, I like you. It can be hard. And I do think like a lot of relationships fail because of miscommunication. Like people are afraid to open up or let their guard down or just don't actually know how to communicate honestly about how they're feeling in a relationship, whether it's good or bad. And it's difficult to have those conversations. Like it's a really hard lesson to learn. And like, I think sometimes you know people sometimes are like this relationship is good because we have chemistry and we have things in common and we have fun and we have good sex but like those things that should just be the starting point of a relationship like but also relationships change that's so. true but i think like a good like a great relationship or one that will last into the longer term I mean, it has all of that but you're emotionally comfortable enough to share that vulnerable ugly <laughs> side with someone you know but like, you know you
0: see those old established relationships and they've been together for so long they bicker
1: Oh, that's my parents. They're probably <laughs> listening to this podcast. <laughs> you
0: know, it's over the most ridiculous things. It's like well, you should you should just break up.
1: <laughs> no, I don't think that I, my parents should break up. Like, no, no, I'm just they, saying. Yeah. Like
0: my parents are the same too. Yeah, it's weird. It's like they they've sort of forgotten the good bits.
1: Well, you got to still spice it up. But uh, yeah, I think like I think... I don't want to
0: know about my parents' spice. No.
1: <laughs> I'm trying to speak generally and also no. not speaking about... German. <laughs>
0: Don't want to know.
1: But I think, like, being vulnerable, I mean, that's what leaves, it leaves you open to rejection, which I think is why in dating a lot of people are afraid to go to that stage. But, like, if the other person is vulnerable with you in return, that's how you build trust and connection with other people,
0: yeah. really. That sounds fascinating. That, uh, it's so
1: interesting. Really it's the interesting. Uh, complete opposite of choosing someone based on how their genitals
0: <laughs> Yeah, well, <laughs> not really what you base a relationship on, but... <laughs> Well, maybe you do, I don't know. <laughs> there are the tools, all in his Yeah. Are the tools. So, again, I don't want to harp on about being in hospital but the food was pretty average and you and I share a love of food fine dining yes, uh, so I discovered a YouTube channel titled Nat's What I Reckon uh, an Australian guy he He's bizarre. I was just, I, like, how do I describe He looks like he could be a member of a metal band, you know, lots he of ink,
1: long maybe. hair
0: down to his waist, you know, some strategically placed piercings on his face, <laughs> and he swears. He loves to cuss and loves cooking, he, and I think he discovered that from his dad. Um, and the thing, the shtick with this guy is that, he loves fresh produce and herbs and hates cooking with anything out of a jar, packet, box or tin. Mm. Uh, so, you know, he's, he'll go and buy stuff. It's all fresh. He'll prepare it, knock out something that's just fantastic, you know, swear a lot. His fans include David Grohl from the Foo Fighters and Australia's Yale Stone. And he's got dishes with names like the, the crowd goes mild curry uh, <laughs> and end of days bolognese. <laughs> Nat got the idea, and I don't even know what his surname is. I can't find it anywhere. It's not what I reckon. (laughs) It's it's
1: just bizarre.
0: (laughs) But Nat got the idea to to diversify into cooking segments after the lockdown. That's how I found him. Yeah, because he basically was a stand-up comedian, wasn't he?
1: I think Um, so, and I think like he was because everyone was cooking in lockdown and his whole thing I think with the jar sauce was like to try to be like cooking is not that hard. You don't have to use this disgusting thing full of preservatives. But I think
0: where that came from was his own health kick and the impetus was, uh, you know, he'd wander around trade shows and happenings with a mic and, you know, perplexed attitude, you know, looked like a well-tended beer gut. You know, he was kind of this weird sort of looking. So he did a lot of Vox Pops and stuff. But he's lost about 24 kilos and one hey. yeah one of the reasons why he started the the cooking segment is that he had one of his lungs removed uh, and wow. put on a bit of weight he was pretty sick he said going to the gym wasn't doing anything for him he wasn't helping his breathing so he started to ah. look into what food he was eating and basically you know it's easy to prepare a nutritious meal it's not as expensive and it's better for you and look he's it's funny to watch it's great he cuts up the videos are short and sweet and fast yeah just amazing and really entertaining he's yeah, like funny. A really sweet guy too i think uh but yeah that sort of got me through and you know i was daydreaming about eating his food
1: while in hospital <laughs> have you made any of his things no I have. I made. I think it was in the first lockdown, I think it was French onion soup, which I had never made French onion soup before. It was good. Was it good? Yeah. One thing I did learn from him as well is to never buy rosemary. Have you seen the videos where he goes out and like cuts down <laughs> rosemary in the street? And now I realize it's true. Like rosemary grows
0: everywhere. I wouldn't use rosemary from sydney streets it's probably full of mercury and heavy I metals
1: use the rosemary no. from the local park there's like a near where i live yeah. there's a community garden i steal the rosemary. i'd go and have a test <laughs> I'd, I'd go and ma- check how much heavy just metal is making me
0: stronger <laughs> yeah so no i do a lot of cooking and you know i collect uh recipes i've got a whole bunch of recipes for my grandmother and my mom so, yeah, no, I've got my own recipes that I like. Well, that's it from me, Jackie Key. So good to hear you. See you again.. Good um, to you. So I shall see you next week.
1: Let's see. I'll see you next week. Bye, bye All you need.